Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I am a best-selling author and longtime journalist. And today we have a very special episode. This is the first of a brand new, I don't know if it's like a series, what we're calling it, but basically on the last Monday of every single month, we're going to do a very chatty, fun advice podcast. So I'm going to be joined by a different special guest star every single last Monday of the month, and we're going to answer questions that you send in. You can always send them into ask at lizmoody.com at any time of the month, and then I'll also post a Q&A on my Instagram when it comes close to that date so that we can gather up all of your questions and give you advice. And I just wanted to do this because I love learning from all of the amazing experts that I have on the podcast on the normal episodes every single Wednesday, but I also love listening to those podcasts that are just like really chatty and fun and conversational and you feel like you're hanging out in a room with, I don't know, like a cool big sister or older friend. And I really wanted to bring that energy to the Healthier Together podcast as well. So now we will have both. I hope that you are as excited as I am about this. And I guess I will introduce my first guest who's probably going to really surprise all of you. Your cool big sister. My cool big sister. My first guest for my very first advice podcast is my husband, Zach. Hello, hello. Hi, Zach. Thanks for coming on the pod today. Thank you for having me. Zach has a lot of experience giving advice because he is sort of a big sister to my little sisters. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we are often in the position of sending voice notes that are like, why haven't you listened to our advice yet? (laughs) Everything I'm going to say today is going to be basically phrased like a voice note. Like a voice note. Yeah, I'm going to be tripping over stuff and like pressing record and accidentally saying other things. That's going to be really good. Zach also likes to insert himself into my voice notes. I'll be like sending somebody a voice note on Instagram, maybe a work colleague that he's literally never met and he'll just be shouting in the background, oh, like, hey, like, (laughs) what are we doing today? Yeah, Yeah, no, it's great for me. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Zach, do you want to share a little bit about yourself for people who might not know who you are or anything about you. I don't, do you want to describe in your own words? Do you want me to describe you? I would never turn down the opportunity to be introduced by Liz Moody. Okay. Well, Zach is my husband of seven years and he works in tech. But I think one of the things that I love about you so much and that I'm excited to do this podcast with you is that you're really good at combining – I feel like it's been debunked that we have like a right brain and a left brain, but I feel like you're really good – are you looking at me like it has been debunked? Well, we we technically have a right and a left brain. (laughs) But I think it's been debunked that they function in these really distinct ways maybe. But you're really good in my perspective at combining the right brain like the – I also always forget which one's which, but at combining the sort of logical, what's the plan for this, really kind of strategic thinking with the more emotionally intuitive, empathetic, creative thinking. And I think you've always seen that in your career path where you're blending sort of like design and engineering and things like that. You're bringing things together, but I think it's going to be really great for advice. Okay. Did you like that intro? I love that intro. Okay, great. So should we just get into some of the advice? Sure. Hit it. One of the questions, actually, while I'm looking up these questions, one of them was, would you consider yourself best friends? <laughs> you and me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Do you think we're best I think we're best friends. I think we're best friends. I mean, I don't think anybody else. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Nobody else wants to be our best friend. Yeah, I don't know who else would dare to be my best friend. Do you so. think that's like common in couples? I'm curious. I think it's commonly said. Yeah. I don't know. But like for me, the gauge of best friends, and I have best female friends as well, but I think you're my 
best, best, like if I were going to do a friendship necklace, I would make you wear half of it. Sure. The, I, the little broken heart. The broken like heart, yeah, for sure. But you're just the first, the gauge in my head is who's the first person that I want to talk to about literally anything. Like if I'm sad, I want to talk to you. If I have a problem, I want to talk to you. If I'm happy, I want to tell you the news. Like it's always the first point of call. I think there's a really smart analysis of it briefly, which is just that it's the person that you have the best open lines of communication with. You and I talk a lot about how one of the biggest benefits of coupledom is that you can out uh, you can what you can like off source. What's it called? Offload. No, outsource? like outsource. You can outsource a huge part of living your life. So like. You are really good at a lot of stuff and I'm really good at a lot of stuff. And then together, we're great at even more stuff. I do feel like as we've been together, we've specialized more in things that the other person has no interest in or is generally like... Which maybe is bad. It means like we're codependent. Yeah, definitely codependent. (laughs) Codependent best friends, Liz and Zach. We also talk about how you get to see the world through the eyes of another person. And I think that's huge. I'm an experiential junkie. I call myself what? Existentially ambitious because Mm. I really want to have as much life experience in the short time that we have on the planet as possible. And so the proposal of getting to experience double the life experience basically, not that I get to see literally everything you see, but to exponentially increase my life experience via you is very appealing to me. Happy to be here. Yeah. Do you feel the same? Yes. I'm fishing. Yes. <laughs> you it's really amazing. love me? <laughs> Great. Okay. So this is the first question. My boyfriend and I are in our 20s and have been together for years. We've been together through many new life changes and challenges. I'm ready to take the next step and move forward with our relationship. I am ready for a proposal. I know Liz has shared her thoughts on how she feels she may have rushed into the wedding, pressuring for a proposal. These sentiments have been echoed by my older cousins and girlfriends that are now engaged. And I'm just curious to hear the guy's perspective. What might be going through his head now? I know every couple is super different, so it's hard to give an answer here, but I always feel like I'm tuned into the female perspective of the pre-engagement. What might he be thinking about and what's your advice for how I broached the subject with him? I think the point on the female perspective, and for this I'll mean your friends, you the question asker's friends perspective, this is always a bit of an interesting thing for me and Liz because when we look back at our kind of decision to get married, which super jazzed about, (laughs) and the kind of like decision points leading up to it, a lot of her anxiety, which you had a lot of anxiety, I think yeah. a lot a lot of your regrets about kind of whatever pro- proposals or we had was because maybe the year leading up to it, you oh, were like, like, I had a lot of general anxiety. Can we flip and get engaged? But I, I wanted it as proof that you love. Right. But I think a piece of that came from people being like, but wait, if he loved you, wouldn't he have proposed already? Right. And so I think in general, like, if you're ready for the thing, be ready for the thing, but just make sure that you're ready for the thing, not somebody else is whispering in your ear, well, aren't you guys serious enough to be ready? So differentiate between what everybody else's expectations and pressures and thoughts are and your own. But okay, so let's say she is, she like really is, she's searched inside herself and she is, and this guy isn't. I thought you had some really interesting perspectives on that that we've talked about in that a lot of the times when the guy doesn't want to propose in your experience, it's been, I'm always like, oh, it means he doesn't love me enough. You don't love me as much as my friend's now fiance must love her because this is proof of love. And you've talked about how a lot of times it's about like life circumstances. Like you were like, well, I didn't want to propose to you in grad school. And a lot of your friends are like, I want to have a certain amount of money saved or things like that. And I don't think that's where my mind would always go. Right. Which just means more to me that 
communication isn't fluid. I think it's a really weird double standard in the kind of modern day relationships that for some reason, we're still stuck in this idea that one person has to choose to propose to the other person. And the person who is going to be proposed to should just basically always be ready first. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of wonkety. I think without breaking the magic, you can still talk and set expectations for when you want to be married, Mm -hmm. what phase of your life you want to be in by age 20, whatever, or 30, whatever. I do like, by the way, the idea of being, you know, we're in our 20s, which is like, maybe we have another, you know, 20, 30, 40% of our life, like lived, you know, like 22 versus 29 is very different for a lot of people on a lot of decisions in life. But it's, it's one of those things where I think, you know, you have to feel comfortable broaching it. If you aren't, then someone's going to have to put some lines in the sand in terms of what their expectations are, but also being straightforward and clear with yourself on why you have those expectations is great. What do you think about ultimatums? Ultimatums cut both ways, right? Like any, an ultimatum, I think, is also a form of not communicating well, Hmm. right? And an ultimatum is like kind of saying, well, this is how, what I want and can kind of walking away from the table. And maybe it's a last resort because you haven't been able to have that open and earnest conversation of where you both want to be. Or maybe you have and you're just so far apart that basically one person is going to have to be a little bit more flexible than the other person. I will say, I know for us, you look back and you're like, ah, man, I really wish I had had the grace to be a little bit less nervous because if we had maybe gotten married a year later, you might have felt like your life was in a better position to have a wedding. And I would have known how to do my hair better. Like, So for Liz, a lot of it comes down to how nice was her hair for the wedding. <laughs> so like, if you feel like you can get your hair done really well, like, I think you're ready to be Go for it. To. Yeah. I would also say to really question what marriage and the proposal means to you. Because as I've said, for me, it was a declaration or proof of love. And I think I would have been much better off addressing the root cause of why do I need this declaration or proof of love versus almost the band-aid of, well, if he proposes, if I get this external status symbol of us being married that I can kind of parade around and people will view our relationship a certain way, then I will feel better. I think if I had been able to have this really introspective moment and say, why do I need this? What am I looking to solve here? It would have been better off. And maybe I could have had a conversation with you saying, I feel like I need proof of love in this way. And you're like, well, you have attachment issues and you really need to work on that therapy. <laughs> That's not a great response. It's not a great response. No, no one do that response. But I do think that if I had been able to figure out why that thing meant so much to me, I would have been able to come at it from a better perspective as the person who really wanted it and wanted to push it. Right. And if I'd been able to address that then, it doesn't work too. If you're looking for a marriage or proposal as proof of love, as a status symbol, people are super excited about you getting engaged and married for like a hot few months and then truly nobody cares. Nobody's like, oh, they must be like such a good couple because they're married because everybody starts to know all these married people who have relationship problems too. So to that end, I would say also the more that you can – work foundationally on the relationship, on the communication, on doing things together that you love, on bringing that sense of love, satisfaction, all the things that you're kind of waiting for the permission stamp of marriage to give you. If you can bring that into the relationship now, I think you're better off whether 
you get engaged or you don't get engaged. Live like you're married. Well, I don't. Oh no, you don't, not too far. <laughs> Do it feels comfortable for you. Do it feels comfortable for you. Do it feels comfortable for you. Okay, I loved this one. How do I be content in a world of self-help, growth, and healing? How do I be okay in a world that's constantly telling me that I'm not okay? And I thought this was such an interesting question in the wellness world where we're kind of telling you to optimize and grow and like you need to heal your gut and heal your brain and heal your anxiety. And it's like, well, at a certain point, are you ever like, well, aren't I good enough as I am? I thought that was such an interesting question. But what do you, how do you balance that? How do you balance having a mindset or eye towards growth with feeling good and accepting yourself as you are? God, it's such a hard question. It's really easy to start throwing blame too, Mm. because I think that there's a lot of blame to be spread around for why people don't feel like they're their best. Like from your mother to the publishing industry to the people trying to sell you things. Yeah. 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 All of those people. (laughs) Your mother's great. Um, (laughs) But go for hours about how to basically ignore and reframe the shoulds that advertisers and whatever put against you and it'll have more or less effect because we're all susceptible to it everybody's susceptible to it and they're designed to be that way like they prey on known things about our psychology to be incredibly effective so that's not on you like that's on their science using their science exactly and and, and realistically like even if the better you are the better that these services or areas are going to be at they're going to put more energy into into selling to you, right? Saying that we can get completely free of basically being told to be dissatisfied with something, I mm, think is impossible. It's not futile because I think there's a lot of work that can be done on the individual level, but it's gonna it's it's hard, right? And I think that actually like hearing that and trying to internalize that from day one, basically being like, you know, there there is no the system is set up against yeah me. yeah, which which I think for me like leads to it's a little bit cynical, but like that's how a lot of communication is right now. And then from there, saying to yourself, well, what actually matters to me? Because mm-hmm. I think that's what I like. I'll get an advertisement or I'll, I'll hear about something and people are like, oh, did you know that you could lose all these pounds? And I'm like, well, here's the part of maybe weight loss or fitness or shape that actually could matter to me. And here's the stuff that I could kind of do without. Mm. And if there's something about it that's just making me feel bad and I don't really know and I can't really put together like what the the benefit would be like, oh, I'm able to, you know, run, I'm able to do this, I'm able to do the things that give me joy, then those are the things that I think can be quickest to try to. I always say that about people buying supplements because I feel like sometimes we're taught to just like, oh, like get this supplement. It's the trendy supplement. And I'm like, if you don't have a reason that you're pointing to either like a specific reason for your body, for your needs, that you're including that supplement in your cabinet, then it probably doesn't have a place in your cabinet. Like you should be able to look at your supplement cabinet and be like, I am taking this because it's helpful for my anxiety. I'm taking this because I don't feel like I necessarily eat enough vegetables in the day and this is my nutritional supporter, whatever. And I think that that's probably true with a lot of the things across the wellness spectrum. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're short on ways to to basically reframe it, say, what are the three things that matter to me most? And mm. maybe that's within each category of, of whatever your approaching power is or energy power or time power. Because, I mean, this is all – we all have limited resources right. here. And saying, okay, well, why don't I just pick the couple of things that I know really matter to me? Because 
my muscles get sore when I hike. So I'm going to focus on a solution for that. There's a study that shows that when we spend our money to solve problems in our life, it makes us much happier than when we spend our money just to accumulate things or add things to your life. So literally, if every time you spend your money, you're asking yourself, like, what problem am I solving with this? Like one of the biggest ones was moving closer to your place of work so that your commute became a walking or biking commute. And that had the largest impact out of everything in the study on people's happiness. And I think thinking about this in the same way, like what problems are you trying to solve is really, really nice. Yeah. Or what will make you feel outsizedly better or happy. Is outsizedly a word? Yeah. 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 You feel confident in that. Going to die right on that hill. All right. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I feel like this company has been everywhere recently. And if I'm being completely honest, at first I wasn't sure if they were worth the hype. But I did a deep dive into their research and practices, and then I ordered a bunch of the products to try myself, and I have to say, I'm wowed. They simply make things that I haven't seen anywhere else and really beautifully. Anyway, if you haven't yet discovered them, I'm really excited to introduce you to Symbiotica. They're a health supplement company, but like I said, they make really different products than any other supplement company I've seen before. They have a lot of products, so I highly recommend that you peruse their website and take their quiz to find out what's best for your specific goals, but I wanted to call out a few of my personal favorites. First of all, the topical magnesium. I have literally talked about designing a product like this, so I'm both annoyed and appreciative that they got there first, but I've always wanted a topical magnesium spray that wasn't sticky, that felt good and luxurious to use, and that actually let the magnesium absorb into my body. If you have achy muscles or sore feet, this is literal heaven, and I also love it before bed to help with sleep. Also, I need to talk about their shower filter because I am probably the biggest fan of shower filters that exist. A shower filter is literally the best money that you can spend on your skin and hair care. Like literally, if you're buying expensive products and you don't have a shower filter, you're almost wasting the money because you're never going to get the results that you want. It's great for your health because you're breathing in all of that steam from your shower, but Oh my God, the vanity effect is huge. Literally, we bring ours on Nomad Life. When I travel and I don't have it, my hair is like chunkier and way less shiny and my skin is drier and it's just awful. And this is true no matter what the local water supply is like because at a minimum, all water contains chlorine, which is great because then we don't like get cholera, but it is so awful for our skin and our hair. The Symbiotica shower filter is super easy to attach to your existing shower head. It won't slow down the flow rate at all. It has twice the filtration of most other shower filters on the market, and it lasts for up to 10 months, so it's really one of those set-it-and-forget-it wellness hacks. Okay, I'm running out of time, but I also love the plant protein. If you're looking for a protein powder that tastes good just mixed in water versus in smoothies, you will love this one. The Shilajit, which has a ton of minerals, so it'll help with hydration, energy, and brain fog. The mushrooms, which taste like fudge and are just so unbelievably good for every part of your body. And then the B12 and B6, which you might remember us talking about in the brain health episode, but it's just so key for your brain. It tastes super good, and I personally notice a huge energy boost when I'm regularly taking it. Of course, I have a special discount for you. Use code LIZ to get 15% off site-wide or create your own custom bundle and get up to 45% off. Again, that's code LIZ on symbiotica.com. Get the shower filter and thank me later. Now, let's get back to the episode. 
I also will say one of my can I say I have like Lizisms or is that annoying? Lizisms. Oh God, that does that sounds like a dirty <laughs> word. <laughs> so does Lizisms. Okay, one of the things that I often say is that wellness is a tool, not an end unto itself. And what I mean by that is by the second that wellness starts to make your life worse, it's no longer wellness. The second that you are limiting time that you have socially with your friends, or you're thinking about food all the time. Or you're doing these things and ostensibly they're in the name of making you feel better, but they're actually making your life worse. That's no longer wellness. And I think that about a growth philosophy as well, about learning, about what is this, like self-help, growth, healing, all of these things. I think if it's opening your brain, like for me, when I'm learning, I feel really, really good. When I'm listening to podcasts that inspire me, it wakes up my brain and it turns on my brain and it gives me energy. But I think being attuned to how you feel after consuming this information. Yes. Yeah. I think that if it hurts, stop doing it. Yeah, exactly. And if you're feeling like overwhelmed and this is too much, for me, literally the process of learning, even, I mean, it's why I host a podcast is because I love learning so, 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 so much. So even when something doesn't directly apply to my life, I love it just to learn it, just to know it, to have it as a fun dinner party fact that I'm sharing later. Zach and I have so many conversations after I get off a podcast interview and I'm like, oh my gosh, have you heard about this thing or this thing? And it sparks this different conversation down the road. And I love all of that. But if that isn't feeling good for you, that's totally cool too. Like if you want to just listen to the stuff that directly applies to your life or you just want to take a break from everything. And I've had times where I don't want to take in any more podcasts or any more self-help books and I just read fiction and I listen to music and it it's a really nice reset. So I think it's about paying attention and being attuned to how you feel. And the second that it's no longer making your life better, adjust and be okay with that. I think growth is a beautiful thing. And I personally believe that humans have an innate need for forward progression. I think sometimes when we feel icky and we don't know why, it's because nothing in our life has a sense of forward progression. And I think that that's just this very intrinsic need that humans have. But I also think, and I'm learning this more as I get older, that periods of stillness are okay as well. I think- Critical even- for the critical, growth, critical right? for yeah, the growth. Or, or for yeah. Taking part. times where you're like, I'm not going to grow my business. I'm going to tread water at work. I'm going to be an okay friend. I'm going to be an okay partner. I'm going to be an okay parent even. I think these periods where saying exactly what I'm doing is good enough and I don't need to improve on any of it and just taking a moment to rest and notice how far you've come. Because I think actually if we don't have those moments, if we're always like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? How can I improve more? How can I improve more? We don't even look backwards and see the journey that we've taken to that place. It's a nice one. Yeah. So you ready for another one? (laughs) All right. Are we ready for the next one? Born ready. I would love your advice for how to get my life together as an adult. I don't know how to pay bills on time. I want life admin tips, all of these types of things. Don't marry Liz. <laughs> actually, marrying, no, I actually have good advice. Well, I would say marrying Liz is the easiest way for me to learn how to pay bills. <laughs> Do you have an immediate thought? Because I have, I have advice. Well, I mean, auto pay. Yeah, I was going to say set up systems. Yeah. I think I think that the biggest thing is instead of being like, I need to remember to do all of this stuff at a certain time, blah, 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 is to set up literally as many set it and forget it systems as you possibly can. 
We had a landlord who in the lease, it was like, by the way, did you know your bank will send out a check monthly using bill pay to me if you just set it up? It's a great way to not pay late rent. And then I paid late rent two months in a row. And he like just like sent me the thing. And he was like, would you consider? And yeah. then I did. And I never had to think about it again. And I it would say beautiful. you could literally even like make a list every time you forget something or something creeps up in you or whatever. And then view those as problems to look for if there's a system that could solve that. Yeah. And when that fails, literally get in the habit of just setting reminders. Like I set reminders on my phone for seriously far dates in the future. So like, you know, paying quarterly tax and stuff like that. Like I was like, oh man, really can't run into that hurdle again. Right. Set up four reminders by just talking on my phone for three seconds. Like, th- yeah, those are like I was, that's a great tip. Anytime that you're doing something that's recurring, the next time that you do it, set up a reminder that recurs in your calendar. Easy, easy way to start. And then from there, you can go to whatever the auto pays and all the other kind of stuff is. What are other adulting things? So Serena Wolf, who is one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram, she's a cookbook author. She's just like a wonderful person. But she has, I forget what she calls it, but oh, it's like a nagging list or something. So she just keeps a running list of things that are nagging her. And then she has a set time every single week to go through and like return packages, return emails, call that person at the electrician. I don't know, like the nagging, the little niggly nagging stuff. Just keep a running reminder on your phone and set a weekly time to do it. I think that's really smart. I feel like a Sunday night or something would be great for that because then you can enter the week feeling like you have a clean slate. But we auto invest. We auto pay bills. All of those things. I think the more auto stuff, the better. The more auto stuff, the better. I mean, people have gotten really obsessed with this, right? Like there's there's a deep well of of how to optimize your life for for that type of auto. Yeah, but sometimes I feel like the how to optimize be, your be, life stuff is even more overwhelming. You're just like, oh my God, I don't know if I can like optimize. It's just like, like to the previous point, like I the optimize your life people, sometimes I'm like, I can't do all that stuff. So I just say like at a minimum, auto pay your bills if you possibly can. Auto pay your credit card, at least your minimum so that you're have that done like that's the most important i'm not i'm really bad with money guys but that's the, great the minimum is the most important and then if you can have it auto set to pay off your balance every month that's even better and then auto invest if you can as well is there any like definite autos you can think of definite autos well i think that, that's all good money stuff I oh mean, like, auto like ordering stuff online like uh having paper towels toilet paper that's a big one always a good time saver i think meal prepping is one of the things Ugh. that like makes me feel most like an adult. Literally, for me, having healthy food prepped in the fridge is the number one thing I do to alleviate my anxiety. Like I literally think it's better than Xanax to have a prepped, delicious, veggie-filled meal in the fridge for me because there's something about like knowing I'm taking away all these teeny tiny moments of stress throughout the next three or four days of like, what should I eat? I'm hangry, like blah, blah, blah. I'm in the middle of work. How do I prepare something? Blah, blah, blah. I have a meeting in 30 minutes. Knowing that future me is not going to have to deal with all these teeny tiny moments of anxiety, she'll just be able to open the fridge and be like, thank you so much, past Liz. Yeah. Find five to 10 recipes that you're not going to grow like super sick of super fast and just get like good at at having them, especially if they take dry or relatively shelf stable or yeah. like a beet salad, like beets will sit in the fridge for a while, right? And stuff that you can like grab when you're out of the store. It's just, again, it's autopiloting. I also think that... that's a good tip too. Having a cadre of recipes that are your go-tos, I think sometimes, and like obviously please engage with all the new recipes I post, blah, blah, blah. But like we have such an inkling for like, 
what's a new thing? I have to open the cookbook to figure out what I'm making for dinner tonight. And I actually think having like three to five meal prep recipes that you know are always going to be good, that you pretty much almost have memorized, that you just like, you know how to make, you know it's going to taste good. You can always have that as your go-to. And maybe three to five on the flip side, 10-minute dinners that you're just like, when I'm hungry, I will make this. I do frozen potstickers and frozen veg for that all the time. All it's the like time. such a good – It's and, and it's like I can come back to the freezer two years later and it would be a little worse. But Or know. like we've really been rotating hot girl summer salad as a meal prep thing. We do the beet Moroccan style spiced salad with the lentils and then we do your enchiladas, your like veggie packed delicious enchiladas all the time too. So having those three things and I would also say meal prepping will often meal prep two to three of those at the same time so that you're not eating the same meal for like breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. You Some can, people can do it. I have a really hard time like going every day on that. Stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it gives you like a little variety even within the meal prepping. But yeah, I think that's a really good one. Okay. Any final systems or should we do next question? Any genius systems you use? You're way more organized than me. Oh, I have to shout out Notion. You love your Notion. I love my Notion. So Whatever you use, Notion is a free app you can download and it goes on your computer and it goes on your phone. But there's also Google Keep, Apple Notes, but just something to get everything out of your brain into some sort of organized system. So I like Notion because you just have all of these categories on the side. So I have like an ongoing grocery list. I have my ongoing to-do list. I have all of these. I have an ongoing like books that I want to read, movies that I want to watch, all of these things, travel plans, all of our frequent flyer miles. But I think we often think we'll remember stuff or we're trying to keep track of all these different things in our brain. And I think having some way of offloading everything that you're trying to keep track of in your brain into something out of your brain is huge. And also every single time, we just don't have the mental capacity for that. And every single time that I tell myself, I will definitely remember something later, like an idea I have or whatever, or something to get to the grocery store. I just don't. I don't. I, I think that's actually one of the, the signs of somebody who really has adulting down is the acknowledgement that they will never actually remember something without mm. a little bit of like assistance or, or systems in place or what have you. Right? And it's, that the added stress of being like, you need to remember well, this, and that, and that's blah, blah, blah. Is, like right? that's it's, killer. Yeah, having to circle back on something every hour to be like, oh, I got to do that later. I got to do that later. Yeah, that, for sure. That's how you remember things. You're just like, oh my God. Like that's how you just torture your poor little brain and it's not a cool thing to do. Okay, next question. I really want to get Botox, but I'm nervous about what my partner will think. I would love to get a guy's perspective on Botox and cosmetic procedures. The good news is I haven't had any. <laughs> I mean, I love to. You took care of me with my nose job. Yeah, I got to say, if you're going to get like, <laughs> your nose fixed, definitely – Maybe maybe have a have a friend come over. You really did see me at my absolute worst. But I think the Botox thing is interesting because you were so anti. Was I? Yeah, you were super anti. And then now you're like totally you're not like pro. You're not like every woman should go get Botox, but you're not anti at all anymore. I'm of the opinion that women have these crazy standards of beauty foisted upon them continuously forever. And that whatever makes you feel good and lets you get through the day and, and be happy and comfortable is gangbusters. It's great. What Do you think this is terrible advice? I think you should kind of do it. Like something like Botox that's really small and like don't hide it, but you don't have to be like, 
babe, like I'm thinking about getting Botox. Let's talk this through. I feel like it's almost like an ask forgiveness, not permission. Not that you ever need permission for what to do with your body, but I do think there's something interesting in just being like, that wasn't as – because you were worried it was going to impact my micro expressions and that you were going to feel like you were interacting with a robot. And I think for you, once we Specifically took, with Botox, I would say yeah. start start very small and work your way up as needed. I but I that, would say you became comfortable with it in seeing that I'm just as aggressively expressive with it. That is how I would describe it. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I do know people that I'm like, wow, too much Botox. Right. And it means facial expressions can be a little bit tricky and stuff like that. And I think that's where a lot that's a lot of people internalize that and maybe yeah. they've had a experience or two with it. So saying like, oh, I got the absolute smallest amount. Or Do you think it's bad know. though to just not say anything? Do you think that's bad? Because like, don't hide it. Yeah, probably don't hide it. I don't know. But make it casual. I would say don't hide it, but I don't think it needs to be this big deal. And I think if you try to make it casual and then your partner doesn't act like it's casual, that's when communication can be a thing. And you can be like, what are you worried about? What are your concerns? For sure. Here are the reasons I want to do it. no one wants to feel betrayed or misled or anything else like that. I think the, the real trick is to get your partner to go do it with you. Yeah. Hey, babe. You haven't done it yet. No, but I also have no expressions. (laughs) And you also just look so, you know, flirty, 30, and thriving. Yeah, I'm really trying to age gracefully. Yeah. At a rapid rate. Yeah. But Zach has, he's been witness, especially with so many eyes on me and me putting my face and my content with me in and out so much. And then you're in it sometimes too. You're really witness to the most extreme, not the most extreme, I'm sure like movie stars and have it, but an extreme example of how hard it can be to navigate society's beauty standards while living in society. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what I mean. Anybody who's a public facing human being or which which is really almost all of us in some way, shape or form. Right. Like you're going to have unrealistic beauty standards voiced upon you and it might just be easier and more effective to your life. And again, it's like putting systems in place, right? Like it might make it so that you don't have to think about or kind of function under the pressure of this stuff as much. And I think if that allows you to thrive, then it should be celebrated as a solution. And we can address the societal implications and stuff elsewhere because it's not going to start with you. I think that, that's nothing. Is people are like, oh well, babe, you shouldn't get Botox, and it's like, well, like okay, you have like, to fight this. Yeah, fight I'm the not. Man, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to change the world by by not basically falling prey confident. to the same thing that every other person on this planet is currently currently made. To and feel. I don't think it's as my therapist often tells me, it's not black and white. It's not this, but this. It's this and this. I would like to change societal beauty standards. And I feel totally comfortable getting a little bit of Botox. Exactly. I think the and is really, really important. What is most helpful for you when supporting Liz's anxiety? Do you have any advice for other partners of anxious people? And don't just like say run away. No, I would never. Okay. Um, Being a supportive partner I think is a really critical way for somebody to deal with anxiety. Like having, having other people in your life I think is paramount. So no, running away is the exact wrong way to handle anxiety because it often leads to more anxiety. And I think it's one of those things where doing your best as a partner to reduce is always is always really well, it's 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 the greatest good that you can do. That was very Aristotelian of you, babe. Liz is interesting with her anxiety, at least in the last number of years, she's learned or is just a really good communicator. 
So it's actually made living with a partner with anxiety a lot easier than it used to be because I feel like when, let's say you're having a panic attack yeah. right? or something else like that, like you're these days, you're really good at being like, hey, I'm having a panic attack right now and kind of removing the stigma yeah. for it. And I forget what the original question was. How to be helpful. Oh, how to be helpful. If you are the one to help destigmatize things, you will be most helpful, right? Like, Wait, if, what do you mean by that? I think there was a time when you had anxiety. Oh, and, when I was anxious to tell you that I had exactly. anxiety. Exactly. And, and it wasn't that I, you know, was inherently some some judgy jerk, yeah. judgy jerk like being like, eh, because I like think that I wasn't. But you know, I didn't then. want you to view me differently. Exactly. And but the best thing I think I did was once I realized that you were having anxiety, once I realized that you were becoming agoraphobic, you had these things really, I think, don't get me wrong, I think most of the kind of benefit and change actually helped was done without my direct input. But I think the best thing I could do as a partner was basically say, hey, I, I accept this. Like, right. This is something that I want to be here with you to work through. So being like, hey, not only are you not alone, but you have this other person. And not only is this not something to be embarrassed about it's something that we get to you know tackle together those those are those are the things yeah i think that's huge because there's the discomfort of anxiety and then there's the shame which adds to the discomfort of having anxiety i just remember this palpable sigh of relief every single time that i told somebody oh i left that bar because i had a panic attack right. or Anytime I disclosed anything about my anxiety, just that disclosure, my whole body sighed. And when people were like, okay, no big deal, or, oh, I was wondering why you left the bar. I was bummed that you left, but like, I totally get that, or anything like that, it just made me feel so much better. And I think your partner, as Zach said, can be a huge asset in that and just saying, this is part of you. And I I love you. I love you not despite of it. I love you not because of it. I just love you. And this is part of you. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. And I mean, and even a layer up from that would be being honest and open when you as the partner are feeling one way or another about yeah. about anxiety or anything else like that. Because I think Oh, I think, like interesting, like if yeah. you're struggling with something around my anxiety, you can Exactly. Like, I think it'd be much better for me instead of being like, uh, I'm like upset internally and Liz might just pick up on that passively and maybe mm. feel worse about something saying, Oh, I was really excited to introduce you to my friend so and so at the bar. So it was a real bummer for me that you like I, I feel a little bummed that you left. But you know what? We'll just find another Let's time. Let's find an alternative This solution. was my priority for that. I, you know, I don't care that you had anxiety, but I did want But let's X. solve. Yeah, yeah, let's I solve. I think that's really nice. I love that. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm not sure that I've ever met someone who's a bigger fan of therapy than me. Fun fact, my dad is a psychologist, my mom is a psychologist, my sister is getting her PhD in psychology right now, and wait for it, both of Zach's parents are psychologists. Yeah, it's wild. Anyway, I've grown up with a front row seat to the transformative power of therapy, and I actually really credit therapy for helping me get through some of the darkest periods of my life, including when I was struggling with agoraphobia and daily panic attacks. The only rough part is that it can be so hard to find a good therapist. Sometimes it's because you live in a therapist's desert, and sometimes it's because therapy is definitely on the pricier side, and sometimes it's just because it's wildly inconvenient to commute like 45 minutes to an office for a 50-minute session, after which you have to turn around and commute another 45 minutes home. These are just a few of the many reasons I am so excited to talk to you guys about my sponsor today, BetterHelp. 
BetterHelp is truly changing the therapy game by democratizing therapy, making therapy accessible, affordable, and available to as many people as possible. Once you log on to betterhelp.com, you'll fill out a brief questionnaire. Then they'll use that to match you with a therapist who is best suited to tackle your specific needs. And they have more than 20,000 to choose from, so you'll definitely be able to find a good match. Then you can schedule secure video and phone sessions, and you get unlimited messages, which is so nice for those quick in-the-moment needs. Plus, if you and your therapist aren't vibing, you can request a new one for no charge at any time. What I love about therapy is it can be a long-term thing or just used for an acute issue. Whether you're going through a stressful period at work or planning a wedding or you just want ongoing support because life is hard and it's insane to expect that we should be able to go through it alone, BetterHelp can help. There are so many studies about the positive benefits of therapy. I promise once you have your first session, it'll feel like such a sigh of relief. If you'd like to join the over 2 million people using and loving BetterHelp, go to betterhelp.com slash healthier together to get 10% off your first month. Again, that is 10% off your first month at betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash healthier together. Honestly, I just hope this is the tiny bit of incentive that you need to begin prioritizing your mental health. Sometimes we just need a little push like a discount code to take the steps that we know will change our life, but we've been putting off for whatever reason. I love you and I can't wait for you to take this journey. Now, let's get back to the episode. Okay. Any tips on moving to a new country for the first time? I'm about to move to Vietnam and I'm so excited but so nervous. Cool. We've only moved to England, so that's not as cool. Yeah. I have two big things. One, I think really focus on building yourself a social network. And you can do this through so many more ways than you think. I expected that I would like waltz into London and everybody would be like, I'd love to be your friend, Liz. Like people would come up to me on the street and be like, hello, cheerio. Like, would you go out for – I shouldn't do this, but would you yeah. like to go out for Please a cup stop. of tea? Please stop. And that didn't happen. And I've seen people and experienced when we've moved places too how many different tools we have at our disposal for making friends. So a huge one I would say is literally reach out to every single person within your network and ask them if they know anybody who lives in the place that you're moving because through those like friends of friends, extended acquaintances, that's a huge network and often you'll find people in that new place and then be like, oh, can you just connect us so we can go grab a tea or go for a walk or something like that. I also think that fitness classes are huge and they're underlooked as resources. One of our roommates in London developed her whole community around going to yoga classes at the same studio. She went to the same classes, the same studio, and having that consistency of routine allows you to start to build up that camaraderie, that community, those relationships. It doesn't have to be fitness classes, but I think anywhere where you can have a consistency of routine where you're seeing the same people over, it could be like volunteering at a garden center. It could be a job. Like I think a job is also- Jobs are great. I think the reason that people make friends at work so often is because of that repeated exposure and consistency of a routine. And so I think that's really, really, really critical. And then the second thing that I would say is to be prepared for it to suck for a little bit. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I think that we really glamorize living abroad and there's parts of it that are – it's a wonderful life experience. I think it's really, really cool. But – it's nothing like how it's portrayed. It's hard and loneliness, it's lonely. Loneliness and cultural isolation can sneak up on you. Yeah. And I've heard that from people 
moving to somewhere as far flung, at least from here, as Vietnam, and people who just you know move over a to city a different city or two. Yeah, I think I think it's it's it, it it comes up on you quick, and I think we do a lot of self judgment yes. and self chastising for the lack of success, which can be a big contributing factor in continued non-success. Perpetuating that for sure. I completely agree. So I think being really gentle with yourself and knowing that that's completely normal and you would be the exception if every day was flowers and butterflies for you. And I think the last thing is that, hey, I just moved here is the greatest excuse to talk or meet or have dinner or have drinks or Mm. anything with anyone. I wish you could do that in places that you already lived. I do. I just moved here. And honestly, and if we like, get along well enough, then you'll be cool with me fessing up to the fact that I have lived here my whole life. <laughs> no, it's it's true. I think that it gives you a level of openness that is really cool. I also think it's a little bit the same as that, but kind of different. I think of Penny Lane in Almost Famous where she moves to Morocco at the end and she's like, we're going to change our name and just adopt this new identity. And obviously I think that's like a little bit It's a little bit extreme, but I do think that moving is this really wonderful opportunity to evaluate what parts of your life, yourself, your identity, how you're portraying yourself to other people really feel like you at this moment versus what parts you might want to change or tweak or try something new on. I think it's sometimes when we're in the same place with the same friends, going to the same restaurants, doing the same things all the time, we can kind of get locked in an identity, even though internally we've grown and evolved so much. And you can do the hard work to kind of shed that and say, well, I want to make new friends that view me this way in your same old place. Or you can talk to your old friends and say, well, what if we tried something different? And there's, of course, workarounds. But I think the clean slate of moving is this wonderful opportunity to be like, am I a sports person? Like, do I want to try joining a sports (laughs) team or like just experimenting with different parts of yourself that you might've written off before you might not have fully embraced before? You're going to be a sports person now? I actually am. Did I tell you that yet? Yeah, I think you just told me. That. You, you literally said this yesterday. Yeah, You're like, I think I want to be a sports person. I think I'm going to just laughed and not walked a away, player, which is not. But I think I would it. like to become a sports fan because I always cry at sports movies, and I think there's something. <laughs> what? That's a really good reason. <laughs> That's a great. It's reason. a really good reason. The amount of really diehard sports people that cry. Well, and um, I was watching. There was high. like a meme online where there was this Australian sportscaster, and his team won some sport and it was like very unexpected and he was trying to report but he was so overcome with joy and happiness and he started just like jumping up and down and he was in this whole crowd of people and they were all jumping up and down and like hugging and kissing each other and they were so excited and I was like this is beautiful. This is a beautiful way for humans to come together and experience a lot of the essences of human experience on this planet. Oh my God, I love this. A, it's one of the most Liz Moody things I can think of, by the way. (laughs) Basically joining a whole category of identity and experience simply for like the payoff of like how good it feels to really like see your team win. I think that's- Or to see them lose, to feel things with other people, I think is at the- very essence of why we're here on this planet. And if sports just seems like this huge untapped way to feel things with other people. And I think, honestly, this is probably why sports has in the past been such a sports fandom has been so male dominated because there aren't a lot of culturally accepted ways for men to experience extreme emotions in groups, in group settings. I think you solved it. And so I'm like, I 
while I have a lot of outlets for extreme Still emotions, <laughs> I would like to experience this one. So I'm thinking basketball. If anybody has any recommendations for sports that I should become a fan of or teams. Yeah. Send through your favorite sports and or teams. I think I'm the Golden golf. State Warriors. Golf's so freaking boring. The Golden State Warriors are, I think, they're quite good. And I have yes. Bay Area ties. So I feel like that's a nice that might be a nice one to start with. So you're really going to take like the we're on a high note type of thing, not like we're going to build no, up. No, I'm not. Yeah. I have enough underdoggery in the rest of my life. <laughs> we, we lived like two blocks away from the San Francisco A's. Giants oh. yeah. stadium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like right before they started like winning World Series. After oh, World are Series they and, really good now? Yeah. Cool. You were there for this. I'm time. not going to probably become a baseball fan though. But uh, I do like Steph Curry because he had that weird obstacle course because of his mini golf tv show yeah because of his mini golf tv show i thought that was cool that's a choice all right so i think i'm going to become a basketball fan people some good vibes y'all people really want to know what your wedding regrets and favorites were so we, we had an outdoor wedding just like in a field and we ordered all these this kind of like aspen tree kit that was supposed to make this like kind of like off etsy yeah like definitely <laughs> off etsy that was supposed to make like a little kind of like a triangle no no it was it was it was meant to make like a like a very kind of traditional oh, like a like trellis arch. yeah trellis thank yes. you i'm like what's this t word i'm thinking of yeah and it looked so lame <laughs> and so i took it apart and i made like a a very kind of like tent tent pyramidal type of structure with it and it looked very beautiful it was and, so pretty. and rustic and we put and flowers around we like it. put flowers around it like like I did not think that I would say that that the like marriage centerpiece, the ceremony centerpiece, was going to be like a big favorite of mine, but it ended up being like really sweet. Can you I say like bald when I took when we took it down? Yeah, can you? You were like it was real, one of your most emotional moments at the wedding was when we took it down. Can you say it was after the wedding? But yeah. yeah, it was the day after the wedding. But can you say why that kind of hit you so hard? I think I, I associate a lot of things with with physical place. I think physical place matters to me, and that's where we got married. It was really special. That was a big plus. So when he does finally propose, he'll be into the whole wedding thing. It's fun. I think there's a a cultural stereotype sometimes that guys aren't into this kind of stuff. They're not into symbols and romance and all these things. And I actually think that most people are gender aside, but it's about finding ways to have things resonate with that individual person, with their individual personality. Yeah, and I mean, and I think to that, I think giving both partners the space to find something that mm. they vibe with and that, that feels like there's like we just went to a, a really touching wedding of a, one of our friends and he handled the entire ceremony and she handled a lot of the other kind of things and like the reception and all the And he did so that. many little special and touches. Yeah, and it, it's just like having that type of everybody's different things, but like having ownership of, of certain things and being able to just, you know, do things and, and be proud of it. When one partner kind of hoards everything, for yeah. example, I think it can get really tricky because you end up not necessarily – someone can feel like they're not necessarily like – the wedding's not for them. The wedding's for both of you, and I think that's that's really important. Other things I really liked, I really lo- love that we did a multi-day affair. I think like weddings feel so fast. So fast. They and, tell you um, that before, but oh my God, it was so fast. Like mind-blowing how fast it went and by. And then regrets would actually go with that. And I think this is similar to yours. I feel like we – I would have liked better and more copious like recordings of of things, especially like video stuff. I like, I know there are copies of toasts toast and, toast. and speeches, especially from the, from the rehearsal dinner. Somewhere. Which was like half the wedding party. But again, like they weren't 
that structured and therefore it's hard to keep track also, of them. Also, we got like, what was that? Like a mini recorder camera and it was our, oh, God. this is like this our is, worst this is thing. Actually really great. It's the stupidest so, mistake. <laughs> it's a really, no, it's a really cool idea. Instead of having a guest book, we had a video camera with like a gold balloon tied to it and everybody was like passing it around and saying these really sweet notes. And that is great, except for the fact that we relied on the microphone of the video camera. And we didn't not, test it, like, really at yeah, all. Yeah, well, no, we tested it, but we didn't test it with, like, the right circumstances. wedding-level yeah. music and crowds. <laughs> and so while you can make out what people say, and I have, like, plans. Said, I, I have planned <laughs> I, I have planned for years to go back into this really touching video and, like, sit down and actually, like, subtitle it, like... <laughs> You can't, without a lot of work, make out what everybody's saying, and it's all so sweet. And I definitely was like, <laughs> I know enough about audio that I really should have figured that out. Like somebody, we should have had a little, you know, we'll microphone to like put in front of your mouth. And yeah. So that just uh, <laughs> uh, make sure that your intentions survive their confrontation with Stress reality. Stress test your intentions. We blew out all the lights. Oh, yeah, the night before. before. Yeah. Yeah. But you have so many handy friends. None of my friends told me, but they. Oh, yeah. You weren't, you didn't even know, right? We we, we came back from the rehearsal dinner, (laughs) and some of my friends were like, we should test these lights. Because we, we, like, we, we strung them up. We bought little string lights. We, no, not little string lights. Like those big string lights. Okay. Like the big but bowls. we got string lights as our main like decor thing because I have a firm belief that they, anything with string lights is beautiful and, and anything without and string lights lo- isn't. a lot of long spans and put some large current draws on the various breaker systems that we hooked them up to. And lo and behold, at like 2 in the morning, some of my, my guys came back and they were like, oh, let's test this thing. And they flipped the switch on and it blew all the power. And they didn't come to me until the next day after they had reworked it and like, that's, that's sp- like good spread it to, to different around. locations. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, wow, that was, that was good. But yeah, test everything. I'm so glad that I added this new segment of the podcast so people could get to hear about things like current draws and breaker systems that don't exist within the normal life of the you podcast. We're talking about adulting electrical systems. That's, that's a thing. And do you want to talk about? offloading parts of <laughs> adult life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- so real adults do, don't do their own electrical work. Well, certainly this one doesn't. No. Zach. <laughs> Zach. Sometimes, sometimes stuff breaks and I'm like, is it safe for you to fix that? And he'll say, this is what you say exactly word for word. We'll find out. And I'm like, that does not make me feel better. But we always find out. Right. It's been good so far. Okay. I think we should probably stop there. So this is a permanent segment now on the last Monday of every single month, just in your normal Healthier Together podcast feed. You will see an advice episode. It will sometimes have Zach on it, who is obviously always going to be my most favorite guest star. We'll find out. (laughs) But it'll also have a whole array of guest hosts, different people who can weigh in on different types of advice topics. So send me your questions that you want us to talk about on the podcast. Send it to Ask like A-S-K at lizmoody.com. And I'll just keep like a running list of them and then I can answer them on future episodes. If I have a great host for a particular question, we'll answer that one, et cetera. So send to ask at lizmoody.com. And I really enjoyed this. How do you think it went? I think it went great. I think it went great. If you did like this format, let me know on Instagram. I am at lizmoody. I would love to hear your feedback. Trying something new is always like a little bit nerve wracking. So I would love any sort of response. And of course, I feel obliged to 
remind you that if you liked this episode or any episode of the Healthier Together podcast, the single best way to support it is to share it with somebody in your life whom you think would love it. If maybe you have somebody in your life who's dealing with any of the issues that we talked about in this episode, just shoot them a quick link. You look very helpful. It helps spread the word about the podcast, so it's good all around. And then the second best way to support the podcast is, of course, a quick rating or review on your favorite podcast platform, either Apple Podcasts or Spotify is what I mean when I say that because I don't know if the other rating or review systems count. I don't think there really are any others. Yeah, there, there are. We get we get listens and downloads on other ones. I just don't understand them as much. But yeah, I would super, super appreciate that. And as always, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit and hang out with us. And I hope you have a beautiful day. And I will see you next Wednesday on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. Woo! When Zach and I started Healthy Convo Co., we needed to find the easiest way to get conversation cards from our warehouse onto our website and into your hands. I thought it was going to be the hardest part of starting a business, but it wound up being one of the easiest because we just used Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage – Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling gorgeous ceramics to sip morning tea from or beautiful journals to write prompts from the we're all in this together deck in, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. I know as a consumer, I'm way more likely to buy when a website has Shopify. It has all of my information saved, so checkout becomes a one-click situation, even on small business sites, which makes me so happy because I love shopping small. But it's not just small. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lizm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Liz M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Liz M. 